Welcome to Dark Corners with David Allen Voiles. Dark Corners is brought to you by Gestalt Media, an independent publishing company dedicated to serving independent artists. Dark Corners is a horror podcast and may not be suitable for all listeners. Therefore, discretion is advised. Season 2 consists of episodes written and narrated by David Allen Voiles based on a story suggested by the Halloween-themed musical work Witchworks, created by dark ambient musician Mombi Yulman. The 13th episode concludes the season in October of 2020. Chapter 10, Silhouette of the Factory Laura and Daniel looked around the cafe as they stood by the hostess station, bearing a sign that read, Welcome, please wait to be seated. A young woman with auburn hair pulled back into a ponytail, left the booth where she had been chatting with a middle-aged couple, and asked with a smile, Just the two of you today? as she pulled menus from the side of the stand. Yep, just us, Laura said, and grinned back as the hostess led them to their own booth. The cafe was not crowded, just three or four small groups that Daniel recognized as being locals. As they passed the Jorgensons, a couple that lived about three miles from the Thompson farm, Daniel smiled and raised his hand in a little wave, but was surprised when they both gave only the slightest tight-lipped nod in return and quickly looked down at their plates. Daniel frowned to himself, but dismissed it as being of no consequence. Once they had slid into their respective places in the prized window seat with their menus before them on the polished wood table, the young woman, who was apparently the only server working, said she'd be back in a few moments to take their order. No need, Daniel said. I've told my girlfriend how you guys have the best burgers in the state. We'll take them just the way you make them, with those fantastic fries and a couple of Diet Cokes. The server smiled and took their menus. Great, I'll be back in a minute with the drinks. As she retreated behind the counter to fix their sodas, Daniel pointed to a colorful poster with cornstalks and scarecrows on the opposite wall that advertised the annual fall festival. Hard to believe it'll be October in just a few days. Fall festival's only two weeks away, he said. Laura looked across the cafe and spotted the poster. I'm sort of surprised they're still having it, what with all the death and mayhem that's been happening around here lately. Well, I for one am thrilled. I could use something fun and normal for a change. Daniel said. Two deaths within walking distance of my front door is a little more than I bargained for when I came back to Maria Bay. No doubt, Laura said. She smiled and waited for their server to set the cold drinks on the table before continuing. As she pulled the wrapper off her straw, she asked, So how does this new development with the O'Bannon estate affect your long-term plans? She sipped her Coke and looked up at Daniel. You mean like where I plan to live, or us. Yes, Laura said. Daniel drew in a breath and blew his cheeks out. Yeah, good question. He stirred ice around in his coke. Just then another couple he knew, friends of his father's, Ernie and Bess Phillips, came into the cafe. Again, Daniel raised a hand toward them in greeting. The couple stared at him, looked at each other, 
Ernie mumbled something to his wife, and they turned around and left the restaurant. What the hell? Did you just see that? Daniel asked. Laura nodded. Hard not to see that as a slight. I'm guessing the news that I'm the rightful owner of the O'Bannon estate is not sitting well with some folks. Looks that way, Laura agreed. Which brings us back to my question. What are you going to do with that property? You aren't thinking of living in that huge mansion, are you? Uh, that'd be pretty ridiculous, Daniel said. I feel pretty lost just in the farmhouse as it is. He raised his eyebrows as he looked down at his drink and stirred it again. Of course, if there were two people living in it, things wouldn't necessarily be so bad. Oh no, I'm not living in that creepy old haunted house. Daniel chuckled and then noticed their server talking to the owner, Dave Walker, who also doubled as the short order cook. Dave was nodding as the young woman pointed first to the booth the Jorgensons had vacated and then at the door. When she finished talking, he began to make his way over to Daniel and Laura's table. Wiping his hands on his apron, he stopped at their table and spoke. Mr. Thompson? Daniel nodded. Um, I'm terribly sorry, but we're not going to be able to serve your meal. Daniel looked at Laura, who appeared just as puzzled. Something's come up, and we're going to have to close up for a little while. There's no charge for the drinks. Daniel looked at the other two tables where people were waiting for their food. You going to ask those folks to leave, too? Dave frowned. Their orders were a little farther along. Uh-huh. I see, Daniel said. Let me guess. And once I'm safely out of the picture, your open sign goes back on the door. I'm sorry, Dave Walker said as he turned and walked away. Sorry doesn't fucking get it, Dave, Daniel said in a loud voice. The other customers turned toward Daniel and Laura, their disapproval clearly evident. Daniel, let's just go. Let's not make it a big deal. She slid across the seat and started making her way to the door. I'm not the one that made this a big deal, Daniel said. He too exited from the booth, but rather than following closely behind Laura toward the exit, he paused to address everyone in the cafe. I don't know why you all have decided that I'm some kind of monster. The sheriff was killed by some kind of wild animal, and yes, his son was killed by some kind of maniac, but just because I happen to live there doesn't make me the killer. This is still America the last time I checked, and people are presumed to be innocent before you judge them guilty. The frowns on all their faces made him even madder. So all of you can just fuck the hell off. He stormed past Laura, who was standing wide-eyed at the door and out onto the sidewalk. Laura shook her head and joined him where he stood fuming, and they began their walk toward their car. Let's just pick up some barbecue at the drive-thru and take it to your place, Laura said. We can have a nice lunch on your porch. It's still a beautiful afternoon. Daniel nodded, but he felt he was too angry to say anything. He was afraid if he spoke it would be just to vent more anger, and Laura didn't deserve that. They walked in silence to the car, and he followed her advice, and they drove in silence to Porky's Barbecue. Neither spoke until Daniel placed his order at the window at the drive-thru. Once they had their food, Daniel took a deep breath, and still staring straight ahead at the road, spoke. Okay, this may seem crazy, and then he looked over at Laura, who was looking back at him with a questioning look, inviting him to continue. Not that that would be anything new, he said, and he laughed. Not a crazy laugh, just a regular, pleasant laugh. Laura breathed a sigh of relief and joined him. We do crazy pretty well, she said. Yeah, we're getting that down. 
Well, what's your latest crazy idea? Laura said. Let's drive up to the O'Bannon place. It's only about 15 minutes from here. We'll have a picnic. It's not technically yours yet, is it? Laura asked. The lawyer assures me that it's just about to be wrapped up. The papers they found left no doubt that Sidney Johnson had made up false copies naming him the beneficiary. I'm lucky he kept the original will for some reason. Anyway, they said it was ultimately cut and dried since there's no one else to contest the will. I don't officially get the keys until all the paperwork's done, and that's going to take a while. But I'm really curious about what might be in that place. Are you really thinking of moving in there? Nah. I want to sell the property and split the inheritance with Deidre 50-50. But there's a lot that's got to be worked out to make sure we're not saddled with overwhelming taxes all at once. And that's going to take some time. There's just some stuff that bothers me about that place that I want to see for myself. Like what? Well, like whether there might be something in there that might shine some light on who did kill Sheriff Kobritz's son, for one, and maybe him. You think you'll find something that the cops missed? Including the SBI and the FBI? Daniel shrugged. Plus... I'd like to check the place out with my own eyes before somebody gets some light fingers and things go missing before I even know they exist. He looked over at Laura, who was gazing out at the countryside and admired the way the breeze from the open window blew her hair back. And aren't you just the least bit curious about what the place looks like inside? It might even be haunted. I thought you said you didn't have the keys, she said as she turned back to look at him. We don't need keys. You're suggesting we break into the O'Bannon mansion. It's not O'Bannon's anymore. It's mine. I can't get arrested for breaking into my own house. Are you kidding me? You can't even get served burgers. Oh, that's a low blow, Daniel said, but he smiled to show he was getting over the incident. Seriously, you're not exactly the Chamber of Commerce's favorite citizen these days. Hey, come on. Where's your spirit of adventure? Admit it. It'd be awesome to check out that big mansion. Could be lots of ghosts in there. A few skeletons in the closets? Oh, you do know how to sweet-talk a girl. In ten minutes, the two were sipping sweet tea and munching on pulled pork sandwiches on the wraparound porch of the grandest mansion in Carteret County. I feel like we're in Old Man Potter's house and it's a wonderful life, Laura said as she leaned against the huge desk and gazed at the empty shelves that lined three of the four walls. Why do you think the cops took stuff off these shelves? I can't imagine that they were empty before the... Well, you know... I'm guessing as evidence, Daniel said. This is where they found the body from what I remember on the news. He ran his fingers over the spines of the old books on the one wall that shelves were full. I wonder if Sidney Johnson contributed any of the books here, or if they are all from Harold O'Bannon's collection. Pretty creepy stuff either way. Laura came over to look with him at some of the titles and pulled one book from the shelf. She opened it and turned a few of the first pages. The Clavicule of Solomon. Obviously one of many reprints, but this is the granddaddy of grimoires. She slid the book back into its place and asked, 
So do you want to look through the desk for whatever documents you think the authorities have missed that will enlighten you about the murderer? Or would you like to check out the rest of the house? I'm dying to see what the upstairs is like to tell the truth, Daniel said. Me too. Let's hit it. They exited the library and walked back into the main foyer of the house where a grand staircase to their left led to the second floor. A large stained glass window at the top landing threw splashes of colored light on the crimson carpeted steps. The couple paused at the base of the stairs to admire the familiar image of a black cat head with its brilliant emerald eyes glowing from the afternoon sun in the opaque dark glass of the cat's face set off against an abstract background of jewel-toned shapes. Once at the top, they had a choice of two large doors from which to choose, which presumably led to east and west wings of bedrooms on this upper floor. Okay, Mr. Perot, which way? Laura asked. You can call me Hercule, Daniel said, imitating the Belgian detective, and the name is pronounced Poirot. I'll be calling a cab if you do that accent again, Professor. Yeah, got it. Let's try this one on the right first, I guess. The door, just like the one opposite, was massive, made of oak surrounded by a thick frame with a mantle above it. A bust of a bearded figure that neither Daniel nor Laura recognized sat on it. Probably some medieval necromancer, Laura said, based on the content of most of the books in the library. They opened the door and viewed a long, darkened hallway with three identical doors on either side and one at the end of the hall facing them. Daniel found a light switch on the wall to his right and flipped it, which turned on the four sconces, two on each wall, that threw a feeble yellow light on the ceiling from the amber glass that housed them. The weak light was just enough to make out the long green and gold patterned runner that stretched out before them, as well as the monochromatic wallpaper a brown and beige pattern of flowers inside framed panels along the walls above the wainscoting. Well, I'm guessing Mrs. O'Bannon was not in charge of design for this house, Laura said. There is absolutely no sign of a feminine touch anywhere. Harold was about twenty years older than his wife, Daniel said. My guess is that she was not exactly an equal partner in that marriage. So how do we work this? Laura asked. Just start opening doors? Might as well, Daniel said, and he moved to the first door to his right. Daniel stepped into the gloomy room, and his skin crawled with the immediate recognition that this was a room from his own past. He turned to remark to Laura, but the door slammed shut behind him. He rushed to open it, but the handle only rattled in his hand without turning. Laura! he yelled while banging on the door. Laura, try to open the door from your side. The handle won't turn. He heard nothing on the other side, but a low chuckle from behind him made his skin crawl. Daniel slowly turned back to see the source of the laughter. Somehow, he was back in the living room of his farmhouse, which should have been fairly well lit since he knew it was mid-afternoon, but beyond the curtained window, he could see that it was now clearly evening. The room was lit only by a standing lamp in the far corner, and his father sat before him in the lazy boy as he had done on most of the evenings of his life. He was wearing the suit that Deidre had picked out for his funeral, 
and his skin was ghastly pale in spite of the makeup that had been applied for the open casket viewing at visitation. So the college boy's gonna be staying in Maria Bay after all, Frank Thompson said. Dad? Looks like you might follow the plan after all. What plan? Daniel asked. What was meant to be all along, Frank said. How did I get here? Daniel asked. His words came to him very slowly, as if his brain simply couldn't process what he was seeing and also speak. How indeed. Wasn't the route I planned for you? Frank leaned forward and rose from the chair. If you had just showed some good sense instead of being such a bad apple. He took a step towards Daniel, and Daniel tried to step backwards, but the door was already at his back. Where are you going, boy? This... This can't be, Daniel stuttered, and he turned back to the door and rattled the doorknob frantically as he heard the footsteps of his dead father approaching. The door slammed in Laura's face before she could step into the dark room behind Daniel. What the... She tried to turn the doorknob, but it was firmly stuck. Daniel, open the door. I can't get in. Only silence on the other side of the door. Laura beat the door and called again. Daniel, do you hear me? Open the door. Laura. It was Daniel, but his voice came from across the hall, not on the other side of the door. Laura stared at the door in front of her in amazement, but the banging she heard was definitely coming from behind her. The door shook with Daniel's banging. Laura, try to open the door from your side. The handle won't turn. Laura tried the doorknob, which turned easily, and as the door swung open, she saw a bedroom with a large four-poster bed draped in thin, semi-transparent curtains, little more than veils. There was no need for the light to be turned on as the afternoon sun illuminated the space quite well. But no one was in the room. In fact, the entire hall was now quiet. Daniel? Laura called. The white curtains at the open window fluttered in the balmy summer breeze that created a pleasant draft throughout the room. Laura stepped slowly into the room and crossed to the window. She saw large crepe myrtle bushes bursting with hundreds of vibrant purple blooms in the yard below. But it's almost October, Laura thought. It wasn't this warm when we got here. And I don't remember any bushes blooming like those. Are you the new woman? The soft voice made Laura jump. She whirled around and saw that someone was lying in the bed. Someone that she was sure had not been there a moment before. Laura's heart raced, and she stood and stared at the figure before her. The woman was young, maybe thirty at the most, but she was painfully thin. Laura could tell she would have been considered beautiful once, but her face was so drawn that her brown eyes seemed exceptionally large, almost freakishly so. Her blonde hair hung limply around her face, some strands spread out like wisps of spiderweb on the pillows behind her head. My husband said I could expect someone. Laura was still so startled she could not speak. She wondered if she might be witnessing a residual haunting, 
a recurring image left over from times past of someone's life who had passed, a scene that plays over and over like a bit of video playing on a loop. You're pretty. The woman in the bed looked intently at Laura, and her expression changed. But then, of course, you would be if my husband hired you. She sees me, Laura thought. So much for it being just residual. He can have all the whores he wants, and you can bear his babies for all I care. I certainly won't provide any more for him to slaughter. The woman threw back the bed covers and pivoted legs that seemed barely more than sticks to the side of the bed as she made motions to stand up. Her skin drew even tighter as Laura stared, her face now little more than a skull. It was as if she were aging before Laura's eyes. Laura sidestepped slowly towards the door, keeping her eyes on the woman who was indeed getting out of the bed. Laura glanced at the door which now was closed although she had not remembered shutting it, and as the hideous figure was indeed moving toward her, she rushed to the door and tried to turn the knob. Locked. Daniel, she called as she pounded on the door. Daniel, help, let me out. I'm locked in here, come, let me out. The doorknob turned and the door opened just as Daniel felt that his father's hand would land on his shoulder. He tumbled through the doorway into the dimly lit hall, slamming the door closed behind him, and he staggered to lean against the wall while he waited for his racing heart to calm. The pounding in his ears gradually subsided, but he realized he heard another pounding that was actually coming from one of the rooms. Daniel! It was Laura. It was obviously coming from the room directly across from him. Daniel, help! Let me out! I'm locked in here! Come let me out! Daniel hurried over to the door to his left, which was on the opposite side from the room he had just left, and gripped the doorknob firmly and was surprised when it turned and the door opened easily. A massive wave of heat rushed over him from an inferno in which a man engulfed in flames staggered toward him. This was no single room, but an incredibly large space which Daniel recognized as the Black Cat Toy Factory. He stood still in the doorway shell-shocked, and couldn't help but think of the melting statues in Vincent Price's classic film House of Wax, for the ruined face which approached him ran and smoked like one of the melting figures in that movie. He spoke, but Daniel could barely make out what he was saying since the man's lips had been burned away. Burn it! Burn it all! Burn it! Burn in hell forever. Miraculously, the door opened, and Laura stepped into the hallway, pulling the door closed as she did so. She looked up and down the hall, hoping that Daniel would be there. But all the doors were closed, and the house was eerily silent. Daniel? No answer. Laura took a few halting steps backward toward the door through which they had entered the swing, but then she heard something, a soft sobbing coming from one of the rooms. Daniel? She called again. Again, no answer. 
nothing but the quiet cry. Laura walked slowly toward the sound and determined that it was coming from further down the hall, adjacent to the room she had just exited. Stealing herself, she opened the door to find another bedroom, this one so dark that it took several moments before her eyes made out the shape of someone sitting on a small bench in front of a vanity with a large mirror. This makes no sense, she thought. It gets the same sun as the room I was just in. This room, though, was the source of the noise. A woman sat facing the mirror so that Laura could see the top of her bowed head and her slumped shoulders, which shook as she cried softly. Her dark hair was pulled into a bun at the base of her skull, and she wore a uniform from a bygone era indicating her employment as a servant. Again, Laura wondered if she were seeing an image from the past or a manifestation of a spirit that could interact with the living. Can she tell me what's going on? Where I might find Daniel? Since the figure seemed to be so overwhelmed with her own grief that she was not likely to be hostile, Laura felt she could risk addressing her. She took a step or two into the room and spoke. Hello? The woman raised her head and Laura was able to see from the reflection in the mirror that she was a beautiful woman with strong, high cheekbones and dark eyes. She turned slowly to face Laura. But the figure that Laura saw on the bench did not match the image in the mirror. The front of the woman's dress was covered in blood, and blood ran from her neck and mouth. The dark eyes Laura had thought so beautiful were glazed and covered in a milky film. Is my baby? She asked Laura. Bubbles of blood broke on her lips. They took my baby. Where is my daughter? Laura turned to leave, but the door slammed shut. She pounded on the door with one fist and rattled the knob and shook it with the other, but the door would not open. Daring to look behind her, she saw that the mourning woman was standing and taking the first steps toward her. Daniel slammed the door shut and immediately felt relief from the heat that had caused his face to sting like a day at the beach. Laura, where are you? The sound of someone pounding on a door and the doorknob rattling caused Daniel to jog down the hall. The doorknob of the last room on the right was moving. It turned easily, and once more Daniel impossibly found himself looking into the Black Cat toy factory as if he were standing at the entrance long before there had been any fire. As he had dreamed many weeks before, he saw a bearded man standing directly opposite him up on the mezzanine above the factory floor. The man looked directly at Daniel and smiled, and Daniel felt himself pulled forward, rushing through the air towards the menacing figure until just at the point of impact, all went black. A second later, Daniel opened his eyes to find that he was standing on the mezzanine, looking back to the entrance of the factory. Below him, workers with pupil-less eyes sat stiffly at their machines, staring straight ahead as they created dolls, stuffed toys, and clothing for the dolls. To his right, another man approached, 
a man with a pencil-thin mustache whom he knew to be his grandfather, Jack Thompson. The man handed him a crying baby, and the workers stopped sewing in unison. They looked up at him on the mezzanine and began to chant. Jack then handed him a large knife with a black handle inlaid with intricate symbols that matched those carved into the grand oaken doors behind him. Laura felt a bony hand grip her shoulder, but pulled free just as the door finally gave, allowing her to lurch into the hallway and quickly slam the door behind her. She leaned back on the closed door and collected herself. What the hell is this place? Are we ever going to be allowed to leave? The sound of faint, rhythmic chanting from further down the hall made her close her eyes and wince. Please, no more. She thought of calling Daniel's name, but as that had achieved nothing so far, she pushed away from the door and followed the sound to the last room on the right. Taking a deep breath, she turned the handle of the door, which, as she expected, turned freely to allow her entrance. So far, whoever or whatever has been staging these scenes has allowed me to exit eventually. Might as well see what I'm supposed to see. Laura expected to see a third bedroom, whether dark or lit from the afternoon sun, she couldn't guess. What time is it anyway? But she was wholly unprepared to see the dark wooded scene that lay beyond that door. A path led from the doorway to a clearing in a pine forest she did recognize. Just like the night when she first met Daniel, the moon shone through the evergreens. A group of people in costumes, some with animal masks, some like clowns, and one ballerina, stood in a circle, holding torches whose flickering light caused their faces to ripple and jump in a way Laura found even more disturbing. A black-robed figure in the center who wore the mask of a black cat stood with arms upraised as if in praise. One person in a bear costume held hands with a small figure, a child, Laura assumed, who was dressed like a hobo in oversized clothes and a bulging pillowcase as if interrupted from trick-or-treating. Somehow, inexplicably, Laura realized that she was suddenly standing in the circle of costumed people. She had no idea of how she'd gotten there, for she did not recall walking down the trail, but there she stood. She was further shocked when she looked down to see that she was wearing a dark robe over her clothes, and that she was peering through the eyes of a mask that seemed to be made of plaster or papier-mâché. The man in a bear costume led the child into the center of the circle where the leader with the cat mask knelt to receive them. He whispered to the child who nodded, and then he turned the child to face away from him while holding him still with one hand on the child's shoulder. The leader in the cat mask pulled a large, long-handled knife out from under his robes with his free hand and held the knife under the child's chin. No! Laura screamed. Every head turned toward her. Laura ran from the group up the path toward the door which illogically stood in the center of the path in the midst of the woods. She flung the door open, which this time gave her no resistance, and stepped into the dimly lit hallway. Daniel was leaving the room opposite hers 
and stepping into the hallway at the same moment. When they saw each other, they fell into each other's arms with cries of relief. "'What's happening?' Laura asked as she wiped her eyes once she had leaned back to look up into Daniel's face. "'I don't know. Where'd you go?' "'I didn't go anywhere, at least not at first. The door slammed shut in that room back there before I could follow you in, and then—oh, God, I don't know what happened then.' "'Were you still in the house?' Daniel asked, fearful that the question would cause Laura to question his sanity, but needing to know. I was, most of the time. There were two bedrooms, but it seemed like they were at different times of day, or another time altogether. And there were people in them. Dead people. I saw other places, Daniel said, like my living room. Laura gave him a puzzled look. I saw my dad. It was awful. Oh, Daniel, I'm sorry. I think we may have been seeing people that were connected in one way or another with Harold O'Bannon. I think I saw Mrs. O'Bannon in one room, but then, she turned and looked at the closed door behind her, then I wasn't in the house at all anymore. I was out in the woods, and I think I saw the people you described that night that we first met. The ones in costumes? She shuddered. It was awful. I went other places, too. Laura gripped his hands, but then frowned and looked down at their arms. Oh, my God, Daniel, what's all over you? For the first time, they noticed that Daniel's hands and forearms were covered in blood. Daniel stepped back and stared in horror, speechless. Daniel? Laura said, trying to keep her voice calm. That's blood. What happened? I don't know. I don't remember, he said. His eyes looked wild and his breath was coming in short gasps. Laura wanted to know what happened, needed to know, but she didn't want to frighten him any further. Think. Where were you? I was in the factory, he said slowly. It was like the dream I had the night my father died. There were workers on the factory floor, and then it was like I was seeing them as the boss, as Harold O'Bannon. Someone handed me a baby and a knife. I turned to go through these big wooden doors, and that was when I stepped back out into the hall. But why are your hands covered in blood? I don't know. Everything else has been, I, I, I don't know, like a dream or a vision. Yeah, for me too. I was about to witness a sacrifice in this last vision in the woods, or whatever it was. But I ran out right before it happened. You don't remember something like that in the factory? Daniel shook his head and leaned back against the wall. Laura looked at the door to her right, the one at the end of the hall, the only one that hadn't been opened, and turned back to Daniel. I think we're being shown this stuff for a reason. Daniel looked up at her. Not sure I want to know. Not sure we'll have a chance to say no, Laura said. She took his hands, disregarding the blood. There's one door left. Daniel's eyes grew wide. 
uh-uh, no fucking way, I'm done. It was your idea that we come here, and it was a spectacularly bad one. Daniel, we've come this far, let's finish this. That's what I'm afraid of, or that it will finish us. I think if we were in danger, that would have already happened. I can't explain the blood on your hands, if that is blood, but I think there's possibly more we need to see. Daniel looked at her with eyes filled with doubt. She reached out and took one of his hands and pulled him to the door. When he didn't say anything else, she gripped the handle on the last door of the hallway and turned it. Just like the last door Laura had opened, there was no room beyond the threshold, but a path leading into the dark woods. A full moon shone in a clear night sky, and before it stood the unmistakable silhouette of the Black Cat Toy Factory as it had appeared in its heyday. The hum of factory machines rang out clearly through the forest to where they stood. A figure moved along the path toward them. In the moonlight, they could see that he was bearded and that he wore a dark suit. He seemed to be walking in slow motion, but somehow each stride took him further along the path than it should. It was as if Harold O'Bannon was walking through time through dimensions, coming closer to Daniel's world than he had ever yet been. They could see as he got closer that he was grinning. His teeth shone in the darkness of his full black beard, and his eyes gleamed with delight. His skin got paler and tighter as he approached, and Laura remembered how the ghost of Fiona O'Bannon had changed to become more corpse-like the longer she stayed in that room. O'Bannon's speed increased with every step he took, and the sound of the machines grew louder. Laura moved to shut the door before it'd be too late, but Daniel stood transfixed, blocking the doorway as he stared at the approaching figure. Two more steps and O'Bannon would be upon them. Daniel, move! Daniel seemed not to hear, nor did he move. Laura gripped his sleeve and pulled him back. She slammed the door shut just as O'Bannon was about to step through the doorway. Laughter, and three solid knocks shook the door. Daniel, you can't hide, laddie. All is in place, and all is happening as it should. More laughter and more knocking. You can't escape your destiny, my boy. The sound of the factory machines hummed louder still. Daniel felt sure that the knocking would never end. That concludes this episode of Dark Corners with David Allen Boyles. Music for Dark Corners was written and performed by Mombi Yulman and can be purchased at mombiyulman.bandcamp.com. For my latest projects, you can always find information at my official website, davidallenboyles.com. And I invite all of you to join our Dark Corners Facebook group where you can find background information on posted stories, previews of upcoming stories, and all kinds of other dark content. Hope we meet again soon in The Dark Corners. <laughs> <laughs>